Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metza. I have a man, uh, a literally, literally a legend uh, that I've been trying to track down for a couple of years. Mr. Johnny Western is has a, just an amazing uh, career in music. Originally from Northfield, Minnesota, he went out to Hollywood. He played with uh, Johnny Cash for over seven years, was on uh, dozens of Johnny's recordings. He's been in cowboy movies and more. Uh, we've got a lot in common. He's a, a fellow Minnesotan, guitar player, songwriter, and also a fellow Scorpio. And Johnny Western, what uh, what birthday do you got coming up here? What's that What's that number? <laughs> October 28th. And how 19, 1934, so you can do the math on that, pal. We have a 85-year-old man, Johnny Weston, who's got the body of an 83-year-old, and he's going to be 86 soon. Johnny, thanks so much for uh, talking to us. What's the uh, weather like down in Scottsdale today where you reside? Well, we're looking at 104 degrees right now. We should be about 108 before this day's over. But we've had some 115s, 116s, 117s. <laughs> so this is a, a cooler spell. We've had a couple of days where it's only 99 as a little weather front from California passed through, we got no rain out of it, but it cooled down for a couple of days. Well, so this is the kind of the tail end of our really hot season, Paul. And, and it's a little different than uh, you were actually born in two harbors, which we on the Iron Range call Couple of Harbors. And then, but you uh, claim uh, Northfield as your hometown. And uh, were you was your God-given name Johnny Western, or how did that come about? Well. My dad was an officer in the CCCs. When I was born in Two Harbors and never lived there. We lived 22 miles away at a CCC army camp during the Depression. And I was born in 1934, and we lived there for six years. I had a sister, Teddy, that uh, was born three years after me, and a brother, Doug, who was born three, after, three years after her. We all lived at the camp in what was Brimson, Minnesota. It does not exist anymore. Hmm. And the camp has gone, of course, for a great many years. But that's where we lived for the first six years of my life. And then we moved to Pine City for about nine or ten months after the camp closed up. And my dad worked for the railroad and put his resume as a teacher. He had a master's degree as a teacher. Put his resume out all over the state of Minnesota. And Northfield picked up his resume. He was in charge of the physical education department. And assistant coach at Northfield High School for 25 years. So we moved down there, and Northfield became my official hometown because it's the first place that was a town that I ever lived in and lived there till I moved to Austin, Minnesota, when they opened their brand-new TV station. Hmm. In 1953, I had the first show on TV there. In that really? Part of the country, ABC's outlet. It was KMMT in those days. It's now KAAL. But that was my transition. And on the 29th day of December, 1954, I took the chance and moved to Hollywood, and the rest was history. Johnny, what kind of a TV show did you have in 1953? Well, I played a Western movie, sang a few songs, just me and my guitar, and did the commercials. And, of course was on just before the 6 o'clock news from 5 to 6 every day. So consequently, we had all the kids watching sure. after school, a lot of adults watching just before the news time. And it, it was a, a six-day-a-week show. And I had some great sponsors. I had a Buick automobile sponsor, and I had Coca-Cola, 
which was was and is still very large yeah. sponsorship. So it was a, a great experience that lasted a little more than a year and a half. And then moved the move to Hollywood. Now, Johnny, you actually had a, a, a single or two or three out at that time. I was doing a little research on you. There's a great Wikipedia page on my guest, Johnny Weston, ah. uh, for those of you that would like to check it out. But you recorded at that cool little... Uh, Station, I think it was the Saint. Was it the Saint Olaf College radio station? That's true. W C A L. It's the same. The the college on the hill is the way the college has always been known up there, and they had the first Ampex top of the line equipment before any of the other stations or commercial stations did. And so we recorded up there, and we were able to do some duplicate recording like Les Paul did. Hmm. Two two major Ampexes being able to do that. You couldn't do that on cheaper equipment. Right. But with the top of the line Ampexes, we were able to do it there. So my guitar player, Johnny Fields, also played steel guitar and played bass. I played rhythm guitar. And we built the records like that. We're just two of us, but it sounded like five or six. So where did you get the records pressed back then? Well, back then, the Joko record label, which emanated in Northfield and actually started out as a Dixieland label. Really? With Doc Evans and his Dixieland band okay. out of Twin Cities. Yeah, it's very, very popular. And they started as a Dixie label. And just because I was doing my radio show there at uh, KDHL in the satellite studio in Northfield, the station was actually in Faribault, 13 miles away, but the satellite station was studio was in Northfield, so I never had to go to Faribault to do my radio show. <laughs> but they decided that they would give it a try and see if they could sell a few Johnny Western records. And that's what happened. So I started recording when I was 16. The first records were released when I was 17. And these were, of course, previous to my Columbia recording contract once I got to Hollywood. This is such an incredible story. And uh, uh, as someone that... Uh has put out my own records for years. I like to say I'm the president of my label, the only artist on the label, and I rejected my last record because that's how tough the music business is. But you had your own label back when you were a still a late teenager. So, Johnny, were you playing uh, little uh, sock hops or what, uh, what kind of gigs were you playing back then? <laughs> I played everything from Farm Bureau deals to... Kiwanis Club deals to professional wrestling. There was a wrestling promoter <laughs> out of the Twin Cities that had some shows that were going in some of the towns around, like Owatonna and uh, Faribault, Northfield, and Farmington, and places like that. And I was paid $25 to do 15 minutes in the arena between wrestling acts. Wow. And I, at that time, Paul, I thought it was all the money in the world. I, I was 15, 16 years old, and I thought, wow. 25 bucks to sing for 15 minutes, this is really it. You'd have to mow a lot of lawns back then to make that kind of dough, right? Oh, We've... yeah, absolutely. i got to make one correction before we go yeah, go ahead. here, Paul. I didn't work for, with Johnny Cash for seven years. I worked with him for 40 years. Wow. From 1958 to 1997. 40 years. And that leads us right into the uh, first song uh, by the, my friend Johnny Weston played on. We're going to uh, uh, have feature a song. He's uh, either by himself or who he's played on, and we're going to listen to Johnny Cash's version of Johnny Yuma 
with my guest, Johnny Weston on guitar. And we'll be back in a bit. Away, 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 he rode the rebel Johnny Yuma. Johnny Yuma was a rebel. He roamed through the West. Johnny Yuma, the rebel. He wandered alone. He got fighting at this rebel land. He packed no star as he wandered far where the only law was a hook and a draw. The rebel Johnny Yuma. Johnny Yuma was a rebel. He roamed through the West. Did Johnny Yuma the rebel? He wandered alone. He searched the land, this restless land. He was panther quick and leather tough. If he figured that he had been pushed enough, the rebel Johnny Yuma. Johnny Yuma was a rebel He roamed through the West Did Johnny Yuma Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzen. My special guest all night, legendary country western musician Johnny Western and he's uh, not only just a musician, he's also the star of stage and screen but at the end of the first set we were talking about his almost four decades with the great Johnny Cash. Tell us how that came about Johnny Western. Well, I lived in California after I moved from Austin, Minnesota out there. I got to California on the second day of January 1955 and Started working, actually, as cheaply as I could find a job out there because the competition was so great. To support a wife and a three-month-old baby girl. Hmm. My daughter was born in Northfield at Northfield Hospital, and we made the trip out to California and then started, as they say, looking for work. I got lucky on a couple of things and worked a couple of shows with some very big stars. In fact, I had been on tour when I was 17 years old all summer long with the greatest Western singing group in the world, the Sons of the Pioneers. Oh, man. Never dreaming that 10 years later, they would be my backup singers on my Have Gun, Will Travel album for Columbia Records. Wow. That's a whole other story. But they put me on a couple of their shows out there. And then the Arizona cowboy, Rex Allen, who was the last of the silver screen cowboys. Sure. Public Pictures. Rex had taken me under his wing when I was still working in Minnesota, and said, if you ever come to Hollywood, I'll help you. Well, he did just exactly that. But to start at the very beginning, Paul, my hero, the reason I was even in the business, was I saw a Gene Autry movie at the CCC camp when I was five years old on my fifth birthday. The picture was called Guns and Guitars, starring Gene Autry and his sidekick, Smiley Burnett. (laughs) And I looked looked at that guy on the silver screen with that Beautiful horse with a silver-mounted saddle and him sitting up there with that snow-white 
hat on and playing that guitar and singing those songs said, that's what I want to be. I either want to be him or I want to be just like him. Wow. Never dreaming that 16 years later he would put me under contract and take me all over America and Canada with him. So I had a couple of the greatest years of my life with my hero, and who gets to do that? But I did. And I loved him till the day he passed away. Well, that is so incredible. I mean, that that is literally a dream come true, you know? I mean, uh, you you saw him on the silver screen, and then you ended up working with him and on the silver screen. That's just incredible. Well, how lucky can you get? I mean, that was a, a luck of the draw, but at the same time, it was something I so desperately wanted. When I was a little boy uh, growing up in the North Woods there in Minnesota, we were about 25 miles from Duluth and about 22 miles from Two Harbors as the crow would fly either way. And I would dream about being a, a motion picture cowboy riding in the posse. I thought it would just be great with the star, whoever that might be, you know? Yeah, sure. And I dreamed about, I'd, my, my dreams actually went this way. I wanted to be on the radio at least once. I wanted to make at least one record. I wanted to do a television thing live, and I wanted to be in the movies for real. And, of course, the follow-up on that was TV, which got so big and so real, and then to do personal appearances along with that. All these things for this little five-year-old boy came true. And I, to this day, I, I pinch myself and say, did all that really happen? Because I had a 64-year career before I retired seven years ago, and all those things happened, but in spades. Instead of doing, you know, one radio show, I did hundreds of radio shows. Instead of making records, I made half a dozen records, and then in Hollywood with Columbia Records, made dozens of records. And then the television thing came along, and then, of course, the movie thing came along, and I got to do, when the Westerns were so popular back in the 50s and 60s, I did 32 episodes of shows like Gunsmoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, of course, Tales of Wells Fargo, so many different shows. I did a 13-episode show called Boots and Saddles, the story of the 5th Cavalry, back in 1957 and 58 for NBC. And there were just all kinds of things that fell in my lap, you might say, because of the time. There were more than 30 westerns on television. I kind of got to go from one to the other and work with all the, the stars of the shows and, and have myself... I got paid a lot of money for playing cowboy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> it's a great way of putting it, Johnny Weston. Now tell us about that very first time, was it a TV show or movie, when you sat on a horse and you were being filmed? Oh, boy. Well, it was a, it was a, a pilot for a show that didn't sell at that time. It sold a year later. But my first picture was a pilot was in color for a TV series called Pony Express. And it was originally supposed to star Ben Johnson, who played my way into the Screen Actors Guild when I didn't have the amount of money it took to get in there. He was going to be the star of that show. At that time, he was making a big, big Western with Marlon Brando called One-Eyed Jacks. Hmm. And so his schedule with Brando was delayed and went on and on and on, and it became not available to do the pilot. And I was to play the lead Pony Express writer in the show with Ben Johnson, who was an extremely close friend, as you can imagine. Well, they, they settled on a young actor named James Best. And James Best at that time was a second leading man in some pictures with Audie Murphy over at Universal and things like that. 
But later on, he became very famous, of course, as Sheriff Roscoe on the Dukes of Hazard. Wow! That's the same James Best we're talking about. But at the time, he was a young guy, and the show, the pilot that we filmed, did not sell. So I'm on the horse and doing the writing and doing the, the dialogue with some wonderful actors on that show. And then, a year later, the show sold. By that time, I was doing Boots and Saddles and Not Available, and they used another guy in my place. So for one season... After we started it, Pony Express went on the air, but they went on the air without me. However, I was already on NBC with that Boots and Saddles show, so it didn't matter. <laughs> this is uh, such an incredible story uh, from a man who was uh, uh, born and raised in Minnesota and went out to Hollywood and all his dreams came true. Our friend Johnny Weston is going to be with us uh, for two more sets on the Wall of Power Radio Hour. We're going to play some music uh, and a big theme song that he had a lot to do with, among other things. Uh, Stick around. We'll be right back. Paladin, paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, paladin, far, far from home. Have gun, will travel, reach the card of a man A knight without armor in a savage land His fast gun for hire keeps the calling wind A soldier of fortune is the man called Paladin, paladin, where do you roam? Paladin, paladin, far, far from home. He travels on to wherever he must. A chest knight of silver is his badge of Welcome back to the Wall of Power Radio. This is your host, Paul Metzler. You just listened to a song my guest, Johnny Western, wrote that you might have heard before if you're over a certain age. That was the Ballad of Paladin theme song for the TV show Have Gun, Will Travel, one of the coolest uh, cowboy TV shows of all time. Tell us about how that came about and... uh, your relationship with that song, how you wrote it, and uh, working with that uh, great star of that, uh, the Ballad of Paladin, and uh, the show Have Gun Will Travel. Well, it came down this way, Paul. I was an actor in these shows as it went along, and I got a job as an actor on Have Gun Will Travel. Now, I had already been at the studio, the same studio that was filming Have Gun Will Travel. I'd done a couple of gun smokes over there at Paramount Studios, and Have Gun Will Travel was filming there. And I got a job as an actor doing a gunfight with Richard Boone, who was the star of the show, Paladin, and I were doing a gunfight in this particular episode. So we were filming on location. My wife was pregnant with our second baby and due any time. Wow. So I'm 40 miles out of town on this ranch and stuff filming the show. Had everybody from Yellow Cab to all my neighbors ready to take her to the hospital (laughs) in case that happened, which did the next morning after we finished filming. So she was born, at, Leslie was born at 7 o'clock in the morning, and by 9 o'clock my mother-in-law had come by and picked up our 
number one daughter, who was three years older, took her for the day, and I'm standing around in my house there in North Hollywood, very, very nervous and not able to go back and see the baby until five in the afternoon. So I picked up my guitar and started wandering around just strumming the guitar, actually started singing Ghost Riders in the Sky. And within 20 minutes, I sat down and wrote the Ballad of Paladin. Then, (laughs) not being able to read music, I had to get it recorded. Called a friend of mine down on Sunset Boulevard who owed me a little studio time and went down and recorded it in about five minutes with just me and my guitar in an echo chamber. And I took two copies of it, one over to Richard Boone, the star of the show, and one to Sam Rolfe, who had created Have Gun Will Travel, and he was the, the guy that wrote the script that I did, and said, thank you for having me on the show, and walked away. Well, a couple of days later, they gave me a call over the weekend and said, you need to be at CBS Studios at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on Tuesday, which would be the next day after they called me on Monday. Be there Tuesday, because... We played that song for the Ponchos in New York over the hotline. They want to use it as a theme song, so we need to work out a deal. Hmm. Long story short, my agent, Peter Marcos, and I went over to CBS at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I walked out of there with a recording contract from Columbia Records and Mitch Miller producing me, (laughs) and sing along with Mitch, and then, as a songwriter, was a separate contract, and then, as the singer of the theme song, was another separate contract. So I had three contracts within an hour's time over there. And, of course, hey, I was 23 years old. You know, I, I couldn't even believe all this was happening. Now, we go ahead a couple of years and have Gun Will Travel became the second biggest television show in the world, right behind Gunsmoke. They were both on Saturday nights, back-to-back with each other. And worldwide, we were in 78 foreign countries, plus the U.S. and Canada and Mexico, and it was an amazing time in my life to be 23 years old and have all that happen. Well, it's uh, part of its karma, part of its, you're just a great musician, and uh, I could tell a really good guy, you've got that uh, Southern Minnesota nice that I'm, that I'm feeling the vibe here, Johnny Western. Now tell us about, speaking of 78 countries, you put on, when we were chatting the other day, you said you've, you've gone over 4 million miles around the world, a lot of them you know, uh, with Johnny Cash. So tell us about your travels and how you hooked up with Johnny and, and that wonderful relationship. Okay. Well, in 1958, Johnny moved out to California. He did what I was already doing. He wanted to be in the movies. Of course, he was really getting red hot on, on records around the world. But he came out and he bought Johnny Carson's house in the San Fernando Valley. Really? Johnny Car- yeah, Johnny Carson and Ed moved to New York to do The Tonight Show. And Johnny Cash bought Johnny Carson's house. <laughs> I love it. Swimming pool and all in, in uh, Encino, California. So his neighbors out there were people like John Wayne and uh, actor John Derrick lived right up the street from one block away. It's kind of in a neighborhood of, of uh, people in the, the picture business. Sure some very large people in the picture business. But Cash House we kind of became headquarters and so forth. Johnny decided to put together a road show. And my best friend, who was a great country entertainer, his name was Gordon Terry, fiddle champion and outstanding entertainer, and I were just palling around out there. And, of course, I was recording for Columbia Records, which was Johnny's label, and he decided to put a road show together. So he hired me and, and Gordon to go with him on the road, plus his 
original band, the Tennessee Two, Luther Perkins with the guitar and Marshall Grant with the bass. Now, they decided to stay in Memphis, where they all lived, previous to Johnny moving to California. So we would either fly out or drive out to the dates and meet those guys and put whoever popular was, was very popular on the girl singing side of the thing. We took a young 12-year-old girl with us over the Christmas holidays named Barbara Mandrell. She huh. He turned 13 years old, and when we were in Las Vegas on Christmas Eve, outside of that, we had the great Patsy Cline for the last year of her life oh, as a girl singer on the Johnny Cash show, and uh, she lived just a few weeks after the first of the year. She died in the month of March. We had done some shows with her just previous to that plane crash that took her life. So that's the way the road show went, and once it started, we were doing 200 days a year on the road with, with Johnny. His records kept going really, really good. And then, as we went along with the thing, he came up with some recording sessions. And on August the 14th, 1959, we were in Nashville. And we did the Johnny Yuma, the Rebel session, which you've just heard. Now, Johnny said, I don't want to play the guitar anymore. I want to con concentrate on doing the lyrics and singing these songs. You play guitar, and I'll sing. Well, that started that, and we ended up, I did 71 singles for Columbia Records playing behind Johnny, and five albums for Columbia Records also, until he left California in 1965 and moved back to Nashville permanently. That was the way we made records, either in Hollywood or in Nashville, with me on the guitar, Luther Perkins, Marshall Grant, W.S. Holland, who just passed away after 37 years of playing drums with Cash, was added in 1960 as the drummer on the show that became the Tennessee Three. And that's the way the package stayed on for years and years and years. And consequently, we played every state in the United States, all 50, most of the major places in the world, actually, by the time it was done. And it was like one of the greatest times of my life because you're, not, you're on the road with your best friends and playing shows where every night was Saturday night. It didn't make a difference whether it was Tuesday night or Wednesday night with that show. The seats were all full, and the shows were just great, Paul. It was just a wonderful, wonderful time. And let's add, and let's add Johnny, you were also getting paid for it. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> that's absolutely true, and Johnny paid very well at the time, by the way. Well, tell us about, you know, who... who who didn't or doesn't love Johnny Cash? Tell us what kind of a human being he really was, because you you just know through his music and his presence and everything. I, I saw him live a handful of times. I've you know listened to his records for forty some years. Tell us what kind of a human being he was. Well, he was about ninety five percent like you thought he was. He was an outstanding, gracious human being, and he had this real affection for the underdog. That's why his prison records were so very popular. The album from Folsom Prison Live and the album from San Quentin Live sold bazillions and bazillions of records because he identified with those guys in the penitentiary and stuff, and they identified with him. I played a lot of prisons with him through the years and stuff, and I saw grown men, murderers and triple murderers and stuff, stand there crying hmm. and trying to, trying to touch him like he was God walking through the, the prison yard there and saying things like, thank you for coming, Johnny. Thank you, Johnny Cash, for being here. You know, you've completed part of our lives because they were never getting out of there. And, you know, I watched this. It was a magnetic type thing, Paul. It was something like you, you couldn't believe it. 
Number one, nobody ever looked like Johnny Cash. When you saw him, you knew exactly who he was and nobody else. And he had that effect on people. But he was extremely generous. He was a family guy. From He took care of his, not only his family, but the, all the relatives and stuff seemed to end up working for, for Johnny in some capacity or another. So he, he spread the wealth, as it were, and gave a lot to an awful lot of people. What he gave to me and Gordon Terry was a friendship that lasted till the day he passed away, which is 17 years ago now, this past September. Last month was, on the 12th of September, was one of the worst days of my life. But I got a telephone call at 1 o'clock in the morning saying that Johnny Cash had just passed away. And it's like being hit in the head with a hammer. Unbelievable. So somebody who had been that much a part of my life was also a lot of, other people's lives fall by his records. And the movie, Walk the Lion, which has been seen by millions of people throughout the world, had a lot of true things. It may be, I would call it 95% like it really was. 5% of it was Hollywood. The other 95% was real. So if you've seen the Walk the Lion movie, that's basically what Johnny Cash really was. Hmm. I was actually in Faribault, Minnesota, playing a festival, and we were watching the... Uh, television uh getting ready for the for the gig and uh saw that johnny cash had died and very few times have i'd cried uh for people other than my close family uh but uh, i shed a few tears that day johnny well, western a, go I ahead johnny. a bunch of tears when that happened i'm sure you did we've got johnny western on the show tonight uh minnesota guy that uh went out to hollywood and all of his Cowboy Dreams came through. We're going to have him on for one more set on the Wall and Power Radio. Uh, please stick around and more with Mr. Western in just a bit. When he rides into a town, everybody holds their breath. Cause hanging on his hip is the angel of death And when his hand goes to the leather then Somebody dies And when he walks away then Somebody cries But who's gonna cry for him? Yes, who's gonna cry for him? He's the gunfighter with the big reputation smile upon his face and the stallion that he rides never slackens his pace but always just around the bend there is one who will try to gun the gunfighter then he too will die Welcome back to the fourth set of the Wall of Power Radio Hour. This is your host, Paul Metzah. We just heard my guest, who's been on for the whole show tonight, his song, The Gunfighter, according to Johnny's wife. That's the best song he ever wrote and sung. Tell us about uh, when that song came out, Mr. Western. I actually wrote that song for a dear, dear friend of mine. Marty Robbins was a friend of mine for really? 30 years. Of course, he passed away way too early at age 57 of a, a heart problem. But... 
Marty, of course, had had El Paso and Big Iron and these great songs also on Columbia Records. He and Johnny Cash and I also re- recorded the various times before Columbia Records, and I had a great affectation for Marty Robbins as a friend and as loved his singing. So I wrote that song basically inspired by him, and here's the way it came down. I was driving down Hollywood Boulevard, and I had to make a right turn on Coenga Boulevard to get back to my house in the San Fernando Valley. And when you made that turn at Highland and Coenga Boulevard right there, it was Forest Lawn Cemetery, hmm. and a huge sign up there, and the sign, the sign said, Someday the angel of death will come for us all. <laughs> and I thought, wait a minute. Whoa, I started getting this thing in my mind as I was driving out to the valley on the freeway there, and I said, the angel of death, what what in the West would correspond with the angel of death? Well, it would be a six-gun, a Colt forty-five <laughs> gunfighter six-gun. Right. And so that's how the song came about. And by the time I got home, which was about 25 minutes on the freeway, I had written that song and just tapped it out on the dashboard of my car. I had a recording session coming up for Columbia in a couple of weeks, and uh, I took the song to Don Law, the great producer of all these great records that we have just mentioned, and Don Law said, I like that song, let's do it. I said, well, I really wrote it for Marty Robbins. He said, well, I just produced another Gunfighter album with Marty Robbins. He won't be recording any cowboy songs for probably six months to a year. Wow. So he said, you you put it on the session. So we did, and they released it as a single. And that song helped me get into the Western Music Hall of Fame years later. The Ballad of Paladin, of course, was the song that really got me there. But they were looking at my catalog of material for that Hall of Fame award, and Consequently, it turned out that The Gunfighter was the second biggest song that they liked, that the committee who formed the Hall of Fame uh, awards liked that song and put me on the Hall of Fame back in the year 2001. Wow. Speaking of a Hall of Fame in Minnesota, to all of the listeners out there, I have always loved being from Minnesota. And every place we've been in the world on my tours and on Johnny's tours, it's been mentioned. In fact, Johnny wrote the liner notes for my Have Gun Will Travel album. And on the back there, he said, that Northfield boy is still traveling. He put Northfield, Minnesota, on the back of my Columbia album as writing those liner notes. So I've always been proud to say that I was from Northfield. It was my hometown. And, of course, had to mention the Jesse James Bank raid there in 1876. And then these other wards start coming in. One thing had happened another. And I came back to Medina, Minnesota. Sure. To the Rock Country Hall of Fame Awards in 2006 when they inducted me into the Rock Country Hall of Fame in the state of Minnesota, and my great friend Sherwin Linton yes. was there and played behind me, so when I did my stage show, along with the Hall of Fame Awards there, it was Sherwin, who has been a friend of mine since he was 17 years old, I've known him that long, was the, uh, the right-hand guy to help me through that particular award. Then a couple of years later, the Minnesota Music Hall of Fame, which is headquartered in New Ulm, voted me into their Hall of Fame. So to be in two Minnesota Halls of Fame is a great, great honor and a great privilege. And I want to say a special thank you to Sherwin for all the shows that we worked together in Minnesota through the years, including the Midwest Country Show up in Sandstone, Minnesota for RFD-TV, things like that. We've just known each other for so long, and what a joy to work with Sherwin Linton. Sherwin is uh, one of my best musician buddies. I love him. Oh, 
great guy and a great entertainer and, and uh, just a wonderful guy in my life for a great many years. So all these things have come to pass, Paul, that Minnesota has been absolute backbone and part of my life since day one in show business. Well, and you're in, the, you're in good hands as a Minnesota songwriter because Johnny Cash wrote your liner notes for Have Gun, Will Travel LP, and he right. also wrote the, uh, wrote the liner notes for one of Bob Dylan's records. So did you ever bump into Bob over the years? I've never met Bob Dylan. He and Cash were very good friends, and uh, I know that uh, they had a special relationship. Bob, of course, came from Hibbing, and I had Johnny Cash tell me about the first time that he ever met Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan had hitchhiked from Hibbing to Duluth when Johnny Cash was first starting out on Sun Records. And he said that Bob Dylan told him when he got to meet him, he said, I saw you there in Duluth. He said, I didn't just dig you, man. He said, I breathed you. <laughs> well, they've had that relationship till the day. Of course, Bob Dylan still lives in Malibu, California, and very much alive. But when Johnny Cash died 17 years ago, they were still extremely good friends. That is an, an incredible story, Johnny Western. We've got uh, just a tad over a minute. Tell us, you sound like you're strong as a bull. Your voice is great. You still do a radio show uh, call in once a month. Tell us a little bit about that and what keeps Johnny Western so healthy and positive. Well, <laughs> another luck out thing, but I was a, in the year 2000, I was inducted into the Country Music Disc Jockey Hall of Fame in Nashville. And one of my fellow DJs in my radio career, Terry Burford, was worked afternoon drive at KFDI in Wichita, great country, country giant station there that I was with for a lot of years. Retired, and he moved down to Louisiana and decided to unretire and got a, a radio deal going in the state of Arkansas, right on the, the line between Texarkana, Texas, and Shreveport, Louisiana. KZHE, classic country down there. And, and Terry is on the air every day, and he decided that once a month, the last Wednesday of every month at 12.30 Central Time, your time, I would call in and we'll do a half-hour radio show called Western Stories about the people that I had worked with in my 64-year career. Movies, radio, television, and records and stuff. So that's been going on for several years now, and it's a lot of fun just to keep a finger in the pie because I have been retired now just fully off the road and off of everything for seven years. I had a wonderful, wonderful time. And my chance to come back and like in Minneapolis and St. Paul, the many years that I came back and worked four days at a time at the famous Flame Nightclub there sure. in Minneapolis for so many years. 15th and Nicollet. Yeah, well, you absolutely. And, uh, of course, it's like a paid vacation for me. to. I would stay with my mother and dad down in Northfield and drive that 35 miles up to the Flame each night. Nice. Come back and have, have daytime free with my family in Northfield. It was wonderful. So, you know, these memories are there forever. I think at one time I played... Uh, with Johnny, I, I know we played every place from Duluth to uh, to Albert Lee and Austin. So pretty much covered the state of Minnesota and always was proud to be part of the Minnesota music scene. Was certainly the part of having grown up there with a wonderful childhood in that state. Great place to grow up at a time when growing up in America was practically like a, like a home movie. And it was just, you know, Northville at that time was about 5,000 people. It's now bumped up since the 35W freeway went through. 
years ago to about 19,000, kind of a bedroom community for a lot of things in the Twin Cities. But I've always been proud of it, Paul, to be, to be from Minnesota and I'm very honored to be in the Minnesota Music Hall of Fame and the Rock Country Hall of Fame. Those things will last forever, and to have friends like yourself and Sherwin Linton and stuff that are still doing it and doing it very well. Well, thank you, Johnny Weston. That, uh, I'm so glad we get some of these stories uh, on the Wall and Power Radio Hour, and uh, we've, we need to, to stay in touch. I look forward to meeting you. I'd like to thank our friend for Sherman Linton uh, for putting us together. And if Absolutely. I could ask you, Johnny Western, what uh, what is some co- uh, some word of advice that you would give to people out there? It doesn't have to be up and coming musicians. Just just uh, some words that maybe kept you uh, moving forward in life. Very simply, Paul. If you want it bad enough, you can do it. If it happened to me growing up in the north woods of Minnesota, I mean the real north woods of Minnesota, which is not exactly cowboy country, <laughs> and can do what I did in the, the field of, of Western music and Western movies and television shows, then you can do it. That... In your own particular field of music, you can do it. Don't give up. Don't let anybody tell you you can't. I had that happen. You can't do it. You can't go to Hollywood. You can't do this. Well, I did that because I wanted it so badly, and it worked out in the end of my career with Gene Autry for two years before Johnny Cash and 40 years, and so many other wonderful things that happened to me. It came because I wanted to do it so badly, and that's what I would recommend to anybody out there listening that is even thinking about a showbiz career. You've got to want to do it that bad to do it. Reminding me of my father's great line that he would coach the kids on as we grew up. He said, whatever you can uh, conceive and believe, you can achieve. I think that says it all right there, Paul. I think that's a wonderful saying. Thank your father for that one. Yes, he was, uh, I miss him dearly, but uh, he gave me advice that stuck with me every day of my life. Johnny Western, this has been most incredible. I've so enjoyed it. I can't wait to uh, hop on YouTube and start uh, digging some more of your music, some of which we heard tonight. And uh, you've got an open door here anytime you want to chat at the Wall of Power Radio Hour. Uh, Johnny Western, my fellow Minnesotan musician and fellow Scorpio. Anytime, Johnny, wide open. Thank you very much, Paul. It's great to be with you on the Wall of Power, and good luck with another season. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to the Wall of Power Radio Hour. The show was produced by Paul Metza, engineered by Patrick Scalia. We'd like to thank our guest, Johnny Western, and our mutual friend, Sherwin Litton, for hooking us up. Follow me at paulmetza.com. I've got a new record coming out. It's going to be a lot of fun. And uh, thanks for listening to the show. Like my dad used to tell me, remember to be kind and make someone happy. 